It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the of the gangs and the government for hire in the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, punching in the corner, too, but it'll be the secret devil, secret devil, world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it in British life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Hi, I'm a mysterious figure. Yes, are you Dr. Bones? <laughs> yes, and this is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom, don't That's forget. right, friends and neighbors, welcome to the holiday edition of the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an enormous episode of equanimity in an egregious world. Oh, that is a mouthful. <laughs> I'll say. So I'll start with E. Uh, I'm Joel MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I am a nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Also known as Nurse Amy, and she is the hostess with the mostest. Take it from me. And together we are the dynamic duo, the spectacular spouses, the geezer and the goddess, and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a rambunctious reindeer, well, Santa, keep the eggnog and rum away from those critters. This is a big issue. But our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. And listen to Amy's gravelly, sick voice. Oh, <clears throat> Yeah. You look great, though. Oh, thank you. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when your Christmas spirit has given up the ghost... Will you know what to do, or will you just be a looky-loo standing by with the rest of the bystanders? You bystanding bystander, you? <laughs> well, come on, prove to me and prove to the entire world that you've got more sense than a carton of cockroaches by learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble. And while you're at it, get some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge you're accumulating. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled, 
medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, actively licensed, and an advanced registered nurse practitioner, also actively licensed. That is you. Yes. You wonderful thing. <clears throat> You wanna... Sorry, I, I'm uh, I'm so gravelly. You're gravelly. Everybody, it's all right. It's <clears throat> sexy. It's a sexy. Everybody in the voice. country is sick. I swear. Everybody that I've talked to on the phone from all parts of the country, family members, customers, representatives of medical companies, everybody is sick. That's it is right. Incredible. On the plane, I heard several people coughing when we were coming home from New York City. That's right. We talked a little bit uh, a while ago about differentiating colds versus flus, and I think there's a video coming up that you're going to be putting up uh, where I talk about how to identify the differences. Yes. So we will be talking about that absolutely in the near future, and so keep an eye on the website. Hey, compare our medical kits. I just want to say I want you to compare our medical kits with anybody else's stuff, and I, I dare you. I challenge you. It's a challenge. Or just ask anybody who's ever bought one of our kits. You'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know what? We learn as much from you, much more really, than you do from us. So make a plan, Stan, to reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's easy, and here she is to tell you how. Absolutely. Email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, or our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. And you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget, our YouTube channel is Dr. Bones Nurse Amy, all one word. That's right. And our other podcast, all about current events, is American Survival Radio, now broadcast from KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, Lubbock, Texas Radio, KRFE, Fairbanks Radio, KFAR, uh, KIMB, Toxic 365 Internet Radio, our good friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, and other great networks, all sorts of stuff. That one's about current events. If you are not interested in that, well, just listen to this show, which is very (laughs) important. Quick update on the wildfires in California. The Golden State is rising from the ashes as the fires are finally getting under control, thanks to the work of thousands of brave firefighters from many states. Uh, the Thomas Fire in South, Southern California has grown to be the second largest in the state's history. It's now about 65% contained, but before it's done, I'll bet it will become the state's largest. The fire took out 800 homes and killed two people, and it's still threatening thousands of homes. California has lost 3 million acres of forest to wildfires over about the last decade. Now, hopefully, That will be the end of our wildfire segments for a good long while. Uh, I'll tell you, it has been a constant battle to keep from combusting here. It is incredible how many of those that we've had, and I'm glad that we're finally getting out of that season. Speaking of season, this Christmas season, you know, there's a lot of commercialism. Boy, is there. But... Many people, I hope, look at the spiritual side of the holiday. You know, it's the reason for the season, after all, and everybody's a little different as to how they express their spirituality, but how does it fit into survival? Since time immemorial, since we lived in caves, we have incorporated spirituality into our survival plan. 
shamans, medicine men, they used their society's belief systems in their therapies as much as they use medicinal plants. And even today, we say prayers for the sick. And some use items like St. Christopher medals to ward off injury and illness. Uh, and hey, ever wonder why they named that famous hospital St. Jude's? Because he's a patron saint of lost causes. And there are a lot of very, very sick people there. And I hope that if you do have a charitable bent to you, that you will donate to St. Jude's Hospital. They do a lot of good work for a lot of kids. Now, you know what? Atheists will put it all down to superstition. But you have to remember the part the spirituality plays in the recovery from illnesses and other issues, medical issues. For many, it plays a really important part in the healing process. It's not just a personal observation of mine, although I have seen that. But studies show that cancer patients to have a positive attitude towards their illness, supported by spirituality, they experience longer survival times and a better quality of life. So there is actual proof there that being spiritual and having a strong belief system, and that, that is helpful. And spirituality could be your friend in another way as well. It could strengthen your resolve in the face of adversity. You know that U.S. prisoners of war in Vietnam tell stories about how their personal beliefs gave them a sense of hope, carried them through dire situations that I can't even imagine. Indeed, a lot of them put it down as the reason for their survival. So never underestimate the power of positive thinking and spiritual peace in disaster survival. Remember that you out there, if you're going to be the medical caregiver, you're going to be in charge of your family's emotional well-being as well as their physical health. And you can bet that you'll encounter episodes of anxiety and depression in situations like that daily. I mean, pretty much every day you're going to deal with people that just are freaked out about the uncertain future. They've lost a lot of what they had and now they're living hand to mouth. They're trying to survive and you're going to deal with that much more often than you deal with bullet wounds. At least, gosh, at least I hope so. If you're dealing with bullet wounds on a daily basis, it's time to get out of Dodge. Absolutely. Now, I'm a Christian, but I say this not to endorse a specific religion or philosophy. I mean, as a doctor, I'm oath-bound to care for anyone, regardless of creed. And I say this to encourage you to reach inside yourself. There's an inner strength there that many folks don't know that they have. And if you have what it takes to be an effective medic, you've got that inner strength, and it's going to be very apparent in a crisis. If you're medically and spiritually prepared, you know what? You're going to be resilient in the face of adversity. That's important. You'll be better prepared to handle an emergency in good times or bad. Consider it just another weapon in the arsenal. Now, here's our Christmas message to colleagues in every medical discipline. Both alternative and traditional medical professionals should have respect for and encourage cooperation with each other. Despite big pharma and on the other side, those people who peddle natural products by saying they cure every disease if you just buy a bottle, well, you know what? Few conventional or natural healers are actually deliberately quacks or profiteers and both have a lot to contribute. Each should be willing to learn from the other, incorporate all that's useful from every possible avenue and together we can work to ensure a society that stays healthy. What I'm trying to say here is don't discourage, do not discourage expressions of spirituality in dark times. If you're going to peddle something, peddle hope. Hope is something that should always be encouraged, even in the worst of times. Although you might need to mix it in with a healthy dose of reality. When you take away hope, 
you decrease your chances of survival, I believe, a hundredfold. You're not going to persevere in the face of the many challenges that confront you in survival settings. So that's why we prepare for times of trouble, right? Because the items we accumulate will give our people the strength to look forward, not with despair, but yes, with hope for a better future. Oh, and Merry Christmas, and may you be blessed with a happy and healthy new year. I just want to talk a little bit about some medical issues that you, as the medical person in the family, could best handle with the support of the latest technology, equipment, facilities, and other bells and whistles of modern time. Sure, you know, we tell you even to stock up on all sorts of high-tech items, even defibrillators, uh, and have some sort of solar battery charger so you can still use some of these stuff, seize these equipments when they're needed, even in tough times. Indeed, some of these are really indispensable when it comes to dealing with certain medical conditions. And that means some of the stuff that we suggest for survival situations, that's right, some of the stuff that I say on this show is not actually the best way to deal with things, especially in normal times. So that's why we have a disclaimer that we say, telling you not to be your own doctor when your doctor has an office just to ride into town. He's got the access to tests and other and, and therapies that you're just not going to have any access to in a survival setting. And so some of the stuff that we tell you is just pretty much downright obsolete, right out of the 19th century medical books we have in our collection. And you know why? That's because in a true disaster, especially a long-term one where you're off the grid, that's where you're going to be thrown, medically at least, in at that situation. You're going to wind up having to Look back to previous ways to deal things, some of which are obsolete today, but may come in handy in an uncertain future. So the question is, do you really believe there's a chance that we can face in the uncertain future a situation where we're knocked off the grid for a serious amount of time? I don't mean three days without power after a storm. I mean a truly major event or an attack like a, by a rogue nation like North Korea. I would have to say that's probably my biggest fear now. I'm I'm not so scared of natural disasters because I think we're we're personally pretty prepared, but I don't think anybody can be fully prepared for this guy. I mean, you really have to do some serious prepping. We're talking about major, long-term off-grid prepping. That's daunting for a lot of people to think about. That's true. All the things that we would be without. Right, and the fact that a lot of electronics and the electrical grid might be offline for a long period of time, that makes it even more difficult. I mean, you may have accumulated three months' worth of food, six months' worth of food. Sure. That's great, but in in a situation (laughs) where you're done with the electrical grid for For 10 years, well, you know what? You really are in big trouble. You have to have known or have learned and hopefully had some experience with putting together a garden that grows vegetables or grows food known what plants in your area may have medicinal benefit. Have the seeds already. Right, right, have seeds. And like seeds. you said, the know-how of what's going to be okay and what's not. I mean, <clears throat> we're personally growing cotton under a screened patio just for fun, and the thing's being attacked by bugs. Right. I mean, it's just like three different things. So right. it just... You don't know. So you how do you know take care of that? Happen. Exactly. Luckily for us, you know how to mix up a, sort of like a soapy solution. What, of yeah, some sort. my natural bug <laughs> spray that I use. Um, of course, this is a side note. 
Sorry to get you off of your specific topic, but this could be very helpful. I use um, soap. I use Castile soap. Um, sometimes a pep- the peppermint flavor. They also have a tea tree and they also have a lavender. But the Castile liquid soap, and I mix that with neem oil. And make sure you get a good neem oil because there's probably some products out there that are watered down. Neem oil is kind of thick. It almost smells like a, a peanut butter. Mm. So you're just going to put a little bit of the neem oil and the Castile soap in a spray bottle with some good water and give it a spray. Don't spray it at the hottest time of the day because if you put too much of the soap on the leaves, it could wilt it. So you don't want to do that. You want to spray early in the morning or in the evening. That's right. Be By the, the best way, that's, times. that's spelled neem, N-E-E-M. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a neem tree that grows. It's a, it's a tropical tree. But uh, it bloomed, but we didn't get any of the neem seeds. But you can still do a tea by brewing the leaves uh-huh. and, or just letting them set in water in the sun mm-hmm. for a few days. Fresh leaves or dried? Just fresh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow, that's, that is pretty neat. Well, Easy stuff. Well, that's the thing. Well, but guess what? We learned about it because of our interest in it. We right. went through Master Gardener classes, mm-hmm. too, and and learned a lot about the soil, especially in our area. These Master Gardener classes are usually specific to your region, and uh, we feel pretty comfortable. that, And we have plants growing right <clears throat> now that produce food. We have some really nice tomatoes still going on here. Yeah. Yeah, the tomatoes look really good. Exactly. We have uh, some And I have not trees. sprayed those yet. And when I say spray, again, you guys understand it's strictly organic, but I have not had to spray the tomatoes. I'm very surprised about that. Yes. I now usually I have to you know spray every few days. The thing with organic spraying is you have to keep on top of it. If it rains, basically what you've sprayed comes off of the plant, so you have to spray again. That's one thing you have to keep a check on. When you water your plants, make sure you water the roots and the soil underneath the plant. Don't water the leaves. Right. Because that can make them more disease prone. So the point of all this is that this, if you're in a long-term event, then you really need to know how to do a lot of things that you may not be doing right now. And if you're not putting together your own garden, maybe mm-hmm. not growing some herbs that may have medicinal benefit, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You really should start getting that experience under your belt. You don't want to try to grow food for the first time when you've run out of food and there's no food coming. <laughs> you will get a big surprise. I mean, it, it is amazing to me how many um, predators, bugs, bacteria, fungi... <laughs> Um, that just want to eat your plants. Yeah, we even had... (laughs) It's incredible. And a lot of our plants, I just want to be clear about this, we don't have a 10-acre farm. We're in a neighborhood. There are houses next to us. I do a lot of um, container gardening because our soil is really pretty awful. It's a lot of limestone. Mm -hmm. Marl is what it's called. Yeah, and the pH is just terrible for most of the things that we grow. So, you know, I have to put together pots and make sure there's good drainage. That means just putting holes in the bottom and all over your containers and making sure you have some great soil. I use coconut core, which evens out the moisture in the soil. It doesn't 
let it get too muddy, but it also, you know, holds a little bit of the moisture for the roots when the roots are ready to drink. Yeah, that's so we don't sign. have a giant farm. So these things we're talking about are, you know, on a smaller scale, but you still learn a lot of the lessons. And on an even smaller scale, you can even do this on the balcony of your apartment. Exactly, and, and that's the whole point. You can even grow herbs in the window of your kitchen or, or by a window if you have enough light. That's absolutely right. So what I'm trying to say is that you have to decide out there if you believe that there could be a long-term event. And that's considered to be something of a very, very low likelihood, but maybe not so low a likelihood anymore now that we have rogue nations like North Korea, which even now has satellites that go over the United States about every 45 minutes. And in their payload, if they happen to have a low-yield nuclear weapon, nuclear weapon detonated from one of these satellites by remote control, well, you know what? Why it's at the very least, the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse that occurs from it, would knock out uh, a lot of electrical appliances, widespread outages that would cause at least panic and unrest. And that's the best case scenario. Worse, it could throw us back a century and a half to a time when we had no grid to speak of. And that is something that no sane person would ever infiltrate even on their enemies or perpetrate on their enemies, but there are a lot of places that no longer have sane pe- people at the helm. Ugh, no kidding. <laughs> and so that's a problem, and Kim Jong-un, of course, is number one on that list. He even is developing a bioweapon arsenal as well, so we're going to be talking oh, about biological weapons in wow. the near future, but boy, oh boy, what a crazy, I crazy saw, situation. I saw something today that said... <clears throat> He's planning a, a nuclear missile in 2018. A nuclear missile to actually explode somewhere? Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, All right. Well, so. Well, I don't mean explode, I think, in a country. I think he just wants to set it off. I don't know. I guess. In the it, atmosphere? I don't know. Well, that would cause an electromagnetic pulse. And yeah, so but, it depends on where he wants to set it off. But at the very he's least. He's talking I about testing it, but you know. Well, if you test one, I mean, that's how we found out about electromagnetic exactly. pulses in the first place by our nuclear tests when we did some in the atmosphere in the late 50s and early 60s. Both us and Russia found out that it causes quite a bit of problems. We set one off at some uh, deserted uh, atoll in the Pacific, South Pacific Islands, right. and it caused over a 1,000 miles away the lights to go out in Hawaii. So this is hopefully not what's going to happen, but you've got, as I said, here we pretty go. nutty people at the helm. And let's see. Yes, it says here, 10 hours ago, North Korea expected to test a missile loaded with a live nuclear weapon in 2018. Great. Exactly that what I just, just said. So awesome. All right. Well, that's... A missile with it. That's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. So you should, if you're not prepared now, you should start getting prepared. <sighs> well, anyhow, if you think we're headed in that direction, you can stockpile all you want, but eventually you're <clears throat> not going to have the resources needed to stockpile such a massive medical arsenal that would last for many years. And even if you were able to do so, your supplies are going to be expended faster than you think as you wind up taking in more people than you prepared for. No way. Well, you know what? You think that you're such a tough person and you're not going to be able to, you're not going to bring people in. Well, even for selfish reasons, you may want people that have skills that you don't have. How about this? Amy and I 
or in your town to speak on disaster preparedness when an EMP hits. Our stuff is all in South Florida, and we're stranded. Oh, no. This is a terrible scenario. And we're stranded there. Yeah. We're stranded where you are. Would you want a doctor and a nurse practitioner in your mutual assistance group to help you survive? Maybe you would like that. Well, here we are, but we're only coming with a You know cheap... what I say? Yeah. Please feed me. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> I know will what? help you. Well, what we would do is we would come with like a cheese danish and a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> uh, pretty much that's about it. No food or water. Wait, where are no we getting this cheese protection. danish from? Well, you know. Our own probably... personal supply. Why, yes. We always, have some... we always have some cheese danish. Well, you know, that's what car. car trips are for, right? Absolutely. Cheese danishes so and popcorn. All sorts of bad stuff. <laughs> that's right. And so and we probably wouldn't have any personal protection uh, more impressive than Only a if we've disposable driven. scalpel. Only if we've driven. It's possible. Yes, but if we flew there, no. Now, how about us at home? Now, we would need people that maybe have tactical training, people who can build stuff. I mean, I, I can take you apart and I can put you back together. Absolutely. But I'm as likely to hit my thumb with a hammer <laughs> as I am the head of a nail. So you know I what? want some construction workers <clears throat> and uh, engineers so we can build cool stuff. That's right. That's right, like a, a like Mad house. Max kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a Robinson Crusoe treehouse. Yeah, there we go. So anyhow, you got skills we need, and you're in, man. You got to take the bathroom down the hall on the left, or the spare tent. But you know what? <laughs> we could use you, and we are going to have the supplies for you. It is a drain, though, on supplies. Depending on the number of people you're medically responsible for, you'll be shocked at how quickly precious medications and other items are used up. And so you got some tough decisions ahead when you're down to that last box of gauze or bottle of pain pills. And you wonder why I bought some more food yesterday. I do wonder that because we (laughs) don't have any place to put it. Four or five boxes of food delivered yesterday. Well, I will tell you, it's Mary Jane's uh, food. She has like soups. Mary Jane Farms. Mary Jane Farms. There you go. And she has new packaging that she didn't have when I bought my original stuff in 2000 and. 10, 2010, we had originally bought those. Those were only good for two years. Mm-hmm. But she has Mylar packaging now, which is good for 15 years. Uh-huh. That's what I just got. Wow. I had to throw all of those paper packages away because they were all rancid. R- rancid. I tried. I did six of them. Did you to see if them any, up? I did. Yeah, yeah. The smell. I even put the boiling water in just to be sure. <laughs> I tasted a couple of them, but they were no, no. There's so you got to be careful of the packaging. Get the Mylar packaging. It says Mylar packaging is good for 15 years. That's the one I got. So okay, um, I got a restock of that. But they're really easy. You just have to put boiling water in them, and they do taste really good when they're not rancid. <laughs> <laughs> Because I remember well, there you have having it. them. I wrote on the box. I, I test things when we get them, and I wrote, tastes really good. Uh-huh. I think I still have the box. <laughs> I can show you. Pretty but cool. doesn't taste so good now. So <laughs> I do want you folks to check the expiration dates for the food products that you buy. I think you're just drinking out of mine. Whoops. I know. Well, I drink out of yours. Here. Oh, great. Here's some germs, honey. All right, thanks. Just in case you weren't sick yet. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Okay. Well. Anyway, check your expiration dates for your food. A lot of these things make claims of 25, 30 years. That's great. I'm hoping for myself that that's going to be true. But other things, not so much. Check your batteries. Check things with batteries in them. 
I have found a couple of um, electronic items that I had put batteries in that the batteries started to corrode. Yeah. So check for things that have batteries hidden inside them. Look at those batteries. You may want to just pull the batteries out so they don't just sit there and corrode. Oh, absolutely. Um, and check the expiration of your batteries. You know, check to see if they're good. There's ways to check batteries. So look at all your stuff. Just take an inventory, even if you do it once a year, and keep an eye on it and rotate things. That's a good idea. Now, let's say you have put together a large stockpile. You have to remember that you, things are going to dry out, dry up eventually when you're dealing with common injuries and illnesses on a daily basis. And no one is manufacturing this stuff anymore, so there's no way to replace exactly what you've used up. You've got to devise strategies that are going to allow you to provide medical care in the long run. You've got to find a way to produce substances that have medical benefits without having a pharmaceutical factor at your disposal. And wait a minute, you might be surprised to know that there is a pharmaceutical factory nearby, and that pharmacy is the plants in your own backyard or the nearby woods. You might ask yourself, well, you know, these guys are doctors and nurses. What's all this plant stuff? Well, you know what? It's true that we were trained conventionally at large inner city hospitals. That's true. With a little exposure to natural remedies, we're not herbalists. There weren't even many plants around these inner city hospitals that we did our residencies in. However, one thing we realized is that the pharmaceuticals are eventually going to run out in a true long-term survival scenario, so you got to examine alternatives that might have medicinal benefits, right? This is not new stuff. Caregivers have occupied all sorts of different niches in history, or niches, if you want to call it that, over the ages. They're priests in the, in the time of the pharaohs. They did all the medical stuff. Slaves in imperial Rome, barber surgeons in medieval times. All of these ancient healers, they use all sorts of different methods, but there's one thing they had in common. They knew the use of natural products for medicinal purposes. And if modern medical care is not going to be available one day, we're going to have to take advantage of these time-honored remedies, right? If a medicine man needed more of a particular plant that occurred in their native environment, they cultivated it. They learned to make teas out of it, maybe tinctures, salves containing these products, poultices, and how, and how best to use them to treat illness. I always mention my favorite example is salicin, and salicin is a natural pain reliever found in the underbark, not the outer bark, the underbark of willow trees and uh, some poplar and aspen trees. In the 19th century, we first developed a process to commercially produce salicin uh, from trees that were found in our environment, and that was aspirin, salicylic acid made originally from salicin from willow trees, and that is aspirin. That's right. So many conventional therapies are rooted in what is now is now considered alter, alternative medicine, herbal medicine. I know, isn't that but weird? If you look at any standard text from the 19th century, you'll see that's about <clears throat> all they had. So conventional doctors in the 19th century were essentially just herbalists. herbalists. <laughs> there you go. Isn't that funny? So how about that? Now today, most artificially produced drugs involve all sorts of different chemicals in their manufacture. To make insulin or penicillin, for example, there's so many chemicals used that it would be impossible to reproduce the process in any type of, like, austere setting where you don't have uh, a lab. (laughs) Well, you you need the lab at a pharmaceutical company or some university to really have all the stuff that you would need to make any kind of quality product that actually served the purpose. I mean, we've gone far in our ability to synthesize medicines, 
but we use them far too often, by the way, in, in our treatment of patients. You know, so we should look at natural, natural products and not, not uncommonly, even sometimes, in, in, even in normal times. Uh, indeed, a pa- I have to tell you that one thing that frosts my cookies is that the typical patient with a cold this winter is going to have a one in three chance that they're going to leave the doctor's office with a prescription for an antibiotic. You might say, oh, that's a pretty good thing. But the truth is, an antibiotic is a medicine that does absolutely nothing for a viral illness like the common cold or even the flu. So this is a bad thing. There are lots of different reasons why you want to sort of lay off the pharmaceuticals and only use them when absolutely necessary. And uh, One reason is we've gotten too used to just throwing medicine at people for conditions that are questionable, that these medicines are questionably effective for. That's one. Uh, we've gotten too used to eating food, by the way, that has antibiotics in it. 80% of antibiotics were given to food-producing livestock. And all this has led to some incredible epidemics of antibiotic resistance where the old-time drugs like penicillin no longer are effective in killing the things that they were able to kill a few decades ago. Now you need super drugs, and most of those are only available as in IV form, and they're usually very, very expensive. And all that's bad because we can't, as I said before, reliably reproduce any of these drugs with the limited supplies that we would have off the grid. So the fact that we've lost the knowledge of how to use natural substances as a medical tool, that's a major handicap to the survival medic or anyone expecting to care for people medically in a disaster, especially a long-term one. Now, there's been some progress with over, over-prescribing. There's some physicians are realizing we're too fast in reaching for the prescription pad, and there are a lot of medical journals that now call for physicians to focus on prevention instead of intervention. That would be a great thing for the survival medic to do also, prevent not only headaches, but a lot of heartaches for the survival medic, uh, given the hard realities that he, that person's going to face in times of trouble. Now, additionally, when doctors use pharmaceuticals, they're now being asked to prescribe one drug at a time whenever possible. And the reason why is that multiple medications lead to all these inter- weird interactions unpredict- that are unpredictable sometimes. And even if the drugs work, which one was it that actually worked? Which one was it if you were given three different medicines, that the, which one was the one that actually had the beneficial effects? So don't think the conventional medical wisdom is not being challenged. We certainly challenge it regularly on this show. There are voices in the wilderness, and we're some of them, and I believe that our efforts just might be good for your health, so think about that. Absolutely, honey. Now, having said this, not all pharmaceuticals are bad. I just went on an anti-pharmaceutical thing, but not all pharmaceuticals are bad. Some of them can save your life, but natural remedies should be integrated into the medical toolbox of anybody willing to take responsibility for the well-being of others. Why not use all the tools in the woodshed, right? At one point or another, the medicinal herbs and the plants that you grow in your garden, they may be all that you have. So start learning about them and what grows in your local climate because it's different for all sorts of different places. What we can grow down here is going to be a lot different than what's growing where you are. And even the time that things grow uh, and the season that things grow are different. Right now we're entering our agricultural season. That is January and February and and March, this is when the plants grow best here. And so our gar- we're, do, we do a lot of planting in November. 
And so that's different, obviously, from all you folks up north who plant in the spring. So there's just a lot of a lot of differences. You have to learn what happens in your in your lo- with your local climate that would be good for growing herbs and for growing food. Uh, let's see. There are a lot of different ways that you can use home remedies. You could use, make teas. We talked about teas uh, a little while ago. The simplest method that most off-grid medics will turn to first. Um, tea, by the way, actually refers to a particular plant uh, called Camellia sinensis that uh, they make green and black and oolong tea from. So drinks made from other plants are actually more, they're, they're more accurately called infusions. So essentially <clears throat> right. any hot drink made by infusing. Or also known as herbal teas. Herbal teas. Just or, commonly. Right. Yeah. Essentially any hot drink made by infusing the fresh or dried crushed leaves of a plant in boiling water, that is your infusion. Now, this is something that you can do. Uh, uh, instead of just teas, you can make tinctures. Now, tinctures... Oh, they taste terrible. They, they, well, <laughs> just, so, just so everybody understands. Well, this is plant material. The that's grain me- alcohol. Right. Now, these are extracts. Tinctures are uh, types of extracts that are made by soaking herbs in a liquid like grain alcohol, vinegar, Or vodka. Vodka, vinegar. Yeah. You know, for a length of time. And then you strain and discard the plant material, and that leaves you what with what they call a decoction. Let me just say something about tinctures. The alcohols that we're talking about, certain plants are more easily extracted than others. So some need stronger alcohol levels than certain plants. Yes. And it depends on the type of plant material. So that roots need something a little stronger than generally leaves do. So it just depends on the material that you're using and the herb. So check that out. Find some good herbal books. I do have a book list on our website with a couple of really great herbal book resources that we use. And they will tell you which type of alcohol to use for these herbal tinctures. That's cool. And you have them listed in an article? No, they're on the book section on doomandbloom.net. Oh, okay. Sounds good. The book resource. Oh, awesome. All right, well, uh, there you Apparently a page you never visit. <laughs> there are over a thousand pages there, buddy. I know. What can I tell you? No, this is a category. That is indeed. Oh, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's entire category. Yes. That's well, cool. So... So we have tinctures, uh, we have essential oils, of course, you've probably heard of these. There's such a big industry behind them. These are liquids that are comprised of highly concentrated mixtures of natural compounds that are obtained from plants and typically made by a process called distillation. And just like they made moonshine in the old days or or in Gatlinburg or Branson, Missouri today, that's one way to have some long-lasting material, some medical Medically That's beneficial right. material that you can use that has a long shelf life. And so, a very oil. right. Ting- yes, exactly. And salves, of course, uh, salves are these semi solid bombs and ointments that, that you make that are. Uh, you can mix them with beeswax. Right, right, beeswax or coconut oil or also olive oil in some cases. You can make. All sorts of different types of salves. A good source for a lot of these ingredients is Mountain Rose Herbs. I have no affiliation. I don't make any money. And just go on Mountain Rose Herbs, and they have incredible resources oh, for good. making all your own 
uh, tinctures, not your oils, but salves and all kinds of different things. They even have your bottles. Really, really, yeah. Great resource. Well, so some of these products that we're talking about, they could be ingested directly or diluted in solution. Some of them shouldn't be taken internally. A major benefit of home remedies is that they usually have fewer side effects than commercially produced drugs. That doesn't mean that there can't be adverse reactions from the chemical compounds in the plant. Just because something's natural doesn't mean that it can't have an adverse effect. And that's the thing that people seem to think that, well, because it's natural, there's no possibility that there could be a bad reaction or bad outcome from using such a a product. Well, you know, the truth is it's a chemical compound just like anything else, and it can have its advantages, and it could have its disadvantages, and it could have side effects. Now, it's the obligation of the group medic to get a working knowledge of how to use and to grow these plants. You have to consider learning how to produce tinctures, salves, uh, teas, and things like that, or even oils if, if you have the equipment, so as to keep your survival medicine cabinet stocked. It is very, very important. Hey. Hey. Have you experienced the joy <laughs> that comes with helping the elderly? Well, you can help an old man, that's me, and your family by getting a copy of our award-winning third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. You can get a personally autographed copy at doomandbloom.net or just go to amazon.com. Make sure you get the third edition. We talk about over 150 different medical topics, and these medical topics are the ones that you are going to most likely face off the grid if you wind up being the medic for a survival group or for an extended family. So consider the third edition, always get the third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. It won the 2017 Book Excellence Award. In medicine, we are very pleased to announce that our book is an award-winning book, one of those that... uh, Get a little. We get a little. Um, what is that? Stickers, a badge, or a sticker, or medal? <laughs> medal looks like a medallion. Yeah, that says that it is an award-winning book. Pretty cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about something more medical too. Uh, any soft tissue injury. We'll talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Any soft tissue injury carries with it a degree of risk when it comes to infection. Now, due to the availability of antibiotics, infections from minor wounds or insect bites are pretty easy to treat today. But without modern medicine, even small wound infections can enter the circulation and become life-threatening. Now, in a survival setting, as you can imagine, things like antibiotics are going to be pretty precious commodities, and you as medic should dispense them only when they're absolutely necessary. We talked about the misuse of antibiotics and along with their excessive use in livestock, is part of the reason why we're seeing an epidemic of antibiotic resistance in this country. Now, 80% of all the antibiotics in use today, as I said, are given to food-producing livestock, not to treat infection, but to speed up growth and get meat to market sooner. It's actually not known how antibiotics work to cause this accelerated maturation, but indeed it does, and Cynically, the food-producing companies seem to want to give antibiotics to the to the animals simply to get them 
out of there faster and onto the supermarket shelves. Well, despite your best efforts to care for a wound, there's always a chance that an infection is going to occur. There's infections in the soft tissue that occur below the superficial layer of the skin. The superficial layer of the skin is called the epidermis. And that kind of infection is called a cellulitis. Now, below the epidermis, the main layers of soft tissue are the dermis. You've seen this area when you've scraped your knee, for example, as a kid. Uh, the subcutaneous fat, muscle layers, and all the blood vessels and nerves that go along with it. And so when these areas get uh, infected, then you have something called cellulitis, especially the subcutaneous fat and the skin, uh, the dermis. Cellulitis is easy to deal with in normal times, but it's going to be an epidemic in the aftermath of a major disaster. If you think about it, the sheer number of cuts and scrapes and burns occurred uh, that occur from performing just activities of daily survival are going to make cellulitis one of the most prevalent medical problems that you can imagine. And, and consider that in unsanitary condition, these wounds are probably a hundredfold more likely to become infected. Well, you know that this is something that you will face as the medic in a survival setting. The end result winds up, if untreated in some cases, uh, as a whole body infection. That's oftentimes referred to as a systemic infection, and we call it sepsis. And once sepsis occurs, uh, you could have inflammations of the spinal cord, the inflammations of the bones. Uh, these are called meningitis and osteomyelitis, uh, respectively. These can even further complicate the situation. And in the past, people who became septic were pretty much done for. They usually died. And in survival settings, we're going to start seeing outcomes like that again if something really bad happens. The bacteria that can cause cellulitis, interestingly enough, are on your skin right now. Normal inhabitants of the surface of your skin include things like Staphylococcus, Group A strep, and a number of others. They don't harm anything. They're supposed to be there. At least Which is at, weird. Yeah. Because we, we hold so many things on our body, inside and out. Right. We're in our intestines are right. filled with bacteria. We're an ecosystem. We are. It's a mirror. On our eyelashes. Right. We're like an entire universe for these, <laughs> for these little bugs. Uh, and, and they don't do no harm until you break the skin and they enter tissues that they're not supposed to be in deeper. If they enter deeper tissues, uh, they don't belong there. So therefore, what do they do? They start causing inflammation. And there's a, a specifically a resistant bacteria called MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, that can be found on skin in some people. And that can cause a really raging cellulitis where the usual anti antibiotics are not that effective. Now, as an aside, by the way, you hear me calling this cellulitis, and you probably have heard about something called cellulite. That's the dimpling of the skin that people have in areas that um, have fatty deposits, and it has nothing to do with that. It's not cellulitis, it's not cellulite. The suffix itis, I-T-I-S, simply means inflammation. So cellulitis simply means inflammation of the cells. And appendicitis means Therefore, right, inflammation of the appendix and so on. Hepatitis means inflammation of the liver and so on and so forth. Now, conditions that might cause cellulitis, they include things like any injury that causes a break in the skin, even insect bites and stings. Animal bites would do it. Knife or bullet wounds would do it. Uh, even surgical incision, incisions. Every so often you would get a wound infection, even if 
surgery was done in the most sterile of conditions. Uh, it can occur in ulcers from chronic illness, such as uh, diabetes or varicose veins due to poor circulation or bed sores from people that are, are bedridden. Uh, it can be, occur as a result of the use of steroids <clears throat> or other medications that um, impaired the immune systems. They slow down inflammation, but they slow down also the healing process as well in some cases. Uh, intravenous drug use, which involves a lot of poking of the skin with needles, that's a problem. So that, those are some reasons why you, you might be able might get cellulitis. And cellulitis, of course, is usually easy to recognize. The signs and symptoms are heat in the area of the infection uh, compared to areas that are not affected. Uh, those areas are red usually, and as they spread, they usually spread towards the torso. So as if something's heading toward up the leg or up the arm and heading towards the torso, then you may be dealing with cellulitis. There's swelling in the area of the infection, which causes a sensation of tightness there. You can have drainage of pus or cloudy fluid from the area of the infection. could could weep this material, and, and this usually has a pretty foul odor that comes from that area. Uh, of course, it's going to be painful uh, in some cases as, as you get your entire body gets affected. You may develop fever and chills. You'll feel exhausted, have an ill feeling, muscle aches, almost like you feel like you have, like you have the flu, except it's coming from the infection or coming from the infected wound. Uh, in some rare cases, some people lose hair in the area of the infection, or if the if there is an infection over a joint, the joint becomes stiff. Some people become vaguely nauseous with it if if it gets bad, and so. It is just a mess. Now, the body can sometimes resolve mild cases of cellulitis on its own, if, especially if they're small areas. Uh, treatment usually involves the use of antibiotics, though, and these are things that you should try to have a supply of, and we've talked about how to obtain antibiotics in a veterinary form uh, that would be appropriate for use in humans only in survival settings, post-apocalyptic settings. Now, these these uh, are sometimes topical, they're sometimes oral, there are intravenous antibiotics, you're probably not going to be able to get those. Most cellulitis is going to improve and disappear after about a 10 to 14 day course of antibiotic therapy with medicines that are in the penicillin family. Um, the fish antibiotics that would pertain to that would be fish pen, fish psyllin, um, uh, the kef uh, cephalosporin families like keflex, fishflex, uh, Fishmycin, which is erythromycin, these are the types of families that you would use to treat that. Amoxicillin and ampicillin, like fish mox and fish psyllin and fish pen, are particularly popular for these types of uh, infections. Now, MRSA can be treated, but not with those medicines. You need to treat them with something like clindamycin, which is fish sin, C-I-N, and uh, the sulfa drug, bird sulfa or fish sulfa, it's a combination drug called trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. That's a mouthful. That is. So just remember, fish sulfa, bird sulfa. So these are some things you might consider having in your survival medicine cabinet. Oh, don't forget that if the cellulitis is in an extremity, sometimes it's helpful to keep the extremity elevated above the level of the hearts. And by the way, when you are using antibiotics, complete the full course of antibiotics Otherwise, sometimes you get a higher chance of recurrence of the infection. 
Uh, other helpful strategies for these kinds of for cellulitis is warm, moist compresses, soak, soaks to the affected area. And of course, for pain, discomfort, and fever, you want to have ibuprofen like Advil, uh, acetaminophen, uh, or Tylenol to help deal with some of the symptoms. This is about all, wow, this is about all the time we have that's gone fast for Merry me Christmas! today. Merry Christmas! I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a very happy and healthy New Year. We are going to take a week off for the Christmas holiday, so our next show will be in the first week of January. We're not going to do a show next Friday. Nope. Really? What do you think of that? I'm shocked. That is the first time in quite a while. So we are, <laughs> we're going to take I a break. I don't believe it. <laughs> we're going to take a break between Christmas and New Year's. Okay. And we deserve it, gosh darn it. That, I'm, Do you agree? I, I you don't even, agree. I can't even speak. I'm in complete <laughs> shock. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you so Yay. much for listening to this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alden, MD, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy Alton. See you next year. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.